Hi, I'm Morgan Streeter. And I'm Jesse Streeter, and you're listening to Everyday Gurus. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Zen Mama and Everyday Gurus. And this is um, an anniversary edition, I guess you would say, as I just wanted to pause and reflect on this year of this podcast. Um, and I can't believe it's been a year and so much has happened in this year on top of the fact that we're riding the waves of um, this COVID pandemic. And in the midst of that, my daughter Caitlin and I started this podcast um, as Zen Mama and the Addict about a year ago. And we really embarked on this journey to tell our story because we know we're not alone in the struggles of addiction and how it's played its role in our lives and many people listening or somebody you know. And we have stayed resilient and it has been really hard. And we just wanted to talk about that so that people wouldn't feel alone, so that maybe it would help our healing, it would bring us together as a community we could understand addiction a little more. And we were inspired to interview people that were in long-term recovery, just to understand how they got there, what their journeys were, and so that we could understand what moves the dial on certain people's lives to get into long-term recovery. And also what makes some people more susceptible maybe to substance use disorder or addiction of those types of substances. You know, and we have come to learn, um, I think we're all learning societally because the awareness around addiction has grown and the ability to have language around it and to talk about it in a way because, um, you know, it's become such an epidemic. It's been going on for a long time. And it just seems that more and more people whose lives are getting touched by it are beginning to speak out about it, along with us speaking out about a lot of things these days, which is really creating so much change in our world. And all of that has been reflected in the course of this podcast over the year. Um, We started really talking about our story and interviewing people and really beginning to understand their lens into addiction and into long-term recovery. And then our story continued in that Caitlin um, has fallen hard again into relapse and wasn't able to be on the podcast more than a few months. Um, And, you know, when I look back at the course of the year and what's happened, it's sort of been a roller coaster emotionally, but I guess that's just life. And it's moved from just interviewing people around, um, it wasn't just addiction, it was also some people with grief, or just, you know, we all have things that come into our life uninvited, or that are just really hard. And how do we ride the waves of that, whether it's grief, or a lot of it's grief, um, but I mean loss, I guess I should say, of a child or a loved one. Um, And how do we find our way through to the other side and how do we stay there? And do we actually heal completely? Do we, what does that look like even healing? Um, It has been a really interesting journey for me 
And just as I look at this year as a whole, um, I just then moved into having people come in to my life with really interesting stories around finding meaning and purpose. And, you know, that sort of became a lens that kept opening up wider and wider. The struggles are all still there in everyone's story, right? That's part of being human. But how certain struggles have informed people to do a deeper dive or to move into a place of discovery and transformation. And then to be learning on that path and wanting to share it out in the world or have it become the work they do or the service that they do in the world. That then became the type of people that were coming on the podcast. So Therefore, the name at some point shifted to Zen Mama and Everyday Gurus. And that's those of us walking shoulder to shoulder that are really awakening to this life that we're living, taking it in, seeing what we can learn, and then sharing that either just uh, through being a human being that's sharing her, their story on a day-to-day basis or actually doing that work in the world. And so... Um, I just wanted to reflect on that a little bit. And then it, then it also turned into some social, racial justice issues as that was heightening in our world. Um, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, talking about gender, race, and social injustices, the Me Too movement, all of it really, boy, we're moving such an, through a, such an incredible time of change. And so some discomfort coming up around all of that um, as we're all sort of in this place of um, this melting pot of various views, right? We have such diversity in our choir um, and we're all like really maybe opening up to feel all the feelings, even ones that we thought we were settled around, be it race or gender. And beginning to understand that just acknowledging it isn't enough and that we have to sort of understand our biases, our beliefs in order for us to be able to actively move into um, addressing these different things that just are not okay. Or even like to understand what is okay and what isn't. And then somehow find space for all of us to be moving on that journey and respecting each other in a certain way or, or, or not, but being, you know, able to come from a loving place. You know, I mean, I guess I read something recently, like if hate can happen to people towards people, you don't know why can't love happen in the same way. And I guess everybody has the choice and how they move through um, all of this clearly, But I guess the bottom line is it's coming into all of our lives front and center and there's no way to walk around it anymore. And do we want to like, is, where's that going to get us? And so amongst all of this, again, the pandemic is still weaving its way through all this. And we know our mental health issues and addiction are climbing as our stress levels have gone up more than ever in the last year, almost two years now, which also all of a sudden had all these healers that I realized were in my life and that I'd love to invite on the show and to hear their stories around um, 
their practices and what they feel like is called for now, which came out as rest, mama, (laughs) that we all really need to find time to rest and bring back the nap. You know, and Emily Garrett was on here, who's a longtime yogi, a, a teacher, a student of life, but we're living an awakened life and has a yoga um, service that she provides, plus a studio, Laughing River Yoga. And she talked about just laying down, putting your feet up and breathing, and that breathing is not just a beginner's practice, right? It's a lifetime, it's an advanced practitioner's practice, right? To be still and to breathe, right? Because when we're still, we can feel the feelings, right? And some of them are uncomfortable, but the fact that we can hold stillness around them does allow us to heal. And I think these are things that we're learning. Um, We're learning that the numbing and the pushing away um, doesn't heal. It's like a temporary Band-Aid, you know? And we learn more about dopamine and how we just are hungry for hits of dopamine and that people that are on intense substances can't slide off that and back into homeostasis, back into balance, right? Um, That that becomes such a painful trip that they no longer have control over it. And so I think um, back to one of my guests, Tim, and he said, you know, sister, brother, like, I'll hold some of your burden and you hold some of mine, right? And the load doesn't get any lighter, right? But for some some reason, it feels less of a burden, right? And that we need each other. We need each other to heal and be whole. And we need community of people. I think to Melissa, who was on here, who said, when you find yourself in a situation where you're suddenly raising a family of someone who's struggling with substance use disorder, find your tribe, find people going through similar things and um, let them find shelter in that, right? And then I had Kelly Skinner on here recently who talked about this idea of our soul, right? Of finding that part of us that is our connection to source, whatever that means to you. And that when we can do that universal love, God, Buddha, Krishna, whatever that means to you, when we find that it fills something in our heart and we no longer need to find that from all the things we want to hook our attention into, the scrolling, the eating, the sex, the drugs, you know, the alcohol, whatever it is that we keep grasping at to find peace and to feel whole and to find happiness. We really need to um, understand when we're in this earth suits, as she says here on this journey, we really just need to find our way back to the true essence of who we are. Yeah, this common thread that we might carry through our lives that despite the highs and lows, there's something that keeps us steady and what is that and how do we find our way back to that and so I heard rest I heard um, this idea of setting boundaries (laughs) I think I have been working this idea for a while Um, but yeah totally looking at them as love fences and that we need to 
find what feels good for ourselves, know that we can make ourselves a priority. Um, I had Katriva McNulty on here and she talked about, she's a massage therapist and she talked about really as she works and energetically connects with people that come to her for a massage. She says like, it's not that I'm trying to change them, right? They're each, each, each person is like a work of art. And it's like, I try to just meet them where they're at and give them what they need. And imagine if we all did that, right? If we showed ourselves the same type of care and compassion that we show to others we love, right? Yeah, that's self-care, I think. And then Melody Joy, who talked about compassion as being like really something at this point in time that could help heal in a practice that she does. And she also says, I can't just practice compassion. I have to move through the pain in order to find my way to compassion. And I'd say with everyone that's in a healing phase of life, from trauma, from substances, from grief, from loss, anyone that's in that phase realizes that there's no way to not walk through the discomfort. And what I have found is that it's actually harder to carry it around than it is to actually step right in because it's ultimately all held in light. Even the darkest days of addiction for my daughter, I feel like um, are held in light if she just could reach through the darkness and touch upon it. And I do still hold so much hope for anyone that's struggling to be able to do that. But I also have learned it is her work to do. It's everyone's individual work to do, but it does impact all of us. And so that's what this journey is about is like, how do we hold hands safely and effectively with each other? Um, yeah. And I've just had so many wise souls on here. I just feel so blessed for all the wisdom that's been imparted to us. And Michael Thompson came on the show and talked about his journey of, of finding his way back to himself. And, you know, we excitingly talked about the idea that it's not a done deal, right? That we're changing all the time. In fact, we change our thoughts and we can actually change the neural pathways in our brain for sustainable change, right? We have our DNA, but there's epigenetics, which means our lifestyle choices can totally change our outcome, right? You know, and then in this journey with death as, uh, you know, happening in the backdrop, even though we tend to like disregard that until it's right in our faces, um, how do we make this journey the best it can be? How do we treat it like this one precious life to evolve our souls? And, um, and even though we have suffering, like, it is a choice to what degree we choose to suffer. Yeah. And that's where Kelly was talking more about um, our soul's journey, right? And embracing the journey to the truest extent which we can and to honoring ourselves in that journey. And it doesn't have to all be hard. And that's part of the bhakti yoga lens that she is embarking on. And I also had a few people on um, like Erin Sepik who talked about suddenly finding herself as a 
she's a chiropractor and has suddenly found points in her life where she began to connect with her patients in a different way. And I love that idea of just having some open curiosity about this journey and how that can open up into the unimaginable and the mystical uh, parts of this journey and that it's not a concretized way that only has one path, right? But if you wanna find your authentic path, we have to stay a little open and curious about it. I was recently um, working with someone at a recovery center that I work at who was, and these, these are all my teachers, by the way, and I'm just sharing all the wisdom of everyone I have come into my life. And um, she was just saying was her third um, DUI that landed her in a residential recovery center. And she's a nurse and she just was like, so disappointed in herself. Um, no one got hurt, but she's like the potential to do harm. The one thing that I, I vowed not to do, like, how could I have done that? At the same time, you know, I guess I am glad that it landed me here. And that's like that uh, term, tragic optimism, right? That we see the good that came out of the journey, not that just it happened for no reason. And so, what I tried to say to her is like, what if, what if it's not either or like, what if you don't have to heal those feelings of disappointment in yourself? And they, what if they belong, but also your ability to be here and heal and start anew belongs too. like, we don't have to close one out. We don't have to say the shame and vulnerability are going to go away. Maybe they don't. But what if we can rise up and open our hearts to love ourselves and to move into the version of ourselves that we want to be rather than letting those things hold us back, um, which brings into my mind this idea of fearlessness, not necessarily being without fear. It's the idea that we actually step into our fear and open our hearts to feel that. And often this was a kind of light bulb for me, uh, we often feel sadness underneath that. And to me, I felt so much sadness that I was like, gosh, I, I feel like I'm doing the work. Why am I not getting to this place of just joy? Um, but my heart was allow, or I was allowing myself to be tender enough to feel the sadness. And that actually is uh, stepping into fearlessness. So it's, like life, I guess I've just learned it's not as it seems. <laughs> it's not as I expected it to be. Uh, it just is. Um, and I think if we can go to cultivate an awareness, that's the other thing I heard over and over again on this podcast from Wise Souls, is you have to be aware so that you can um, make choices, right? You can do the practices. You can create some space between the circumstance or the doing and the being. And then you can... Um, then operate from that place of fundamental awareness. And so those are just some of the wise things that I'll, I'll try to summarize here, but um, which is basically addiction is about stepping into your shame and vulnerability and seeing those parts of yourself that you um, don't wanna see. And that if you move into that and allow your heart to soften, you can begin to find some compassion for yourself and others that not only connects us, but it helps us to heal. And then when we can have that shared journey, 
and we can hold space and even some of each other's burden at times when it seems right, it lightens the load, it makes it more bearable so we can take that next step. Yeah, and that we have a ton of changes happening in our world that is driving addiction and mental health up. Um, and we need to keep talking about them, even though they're uncomfortable, we need to keep acting towards them. We need to keep digging deeper with ourselves to understand how we've been conditioned and how we can decondition how we actually feel about these different issues. So we can come from a place of authenticity and truth and that grace can show up and hold us up also at times when we feel like we don't know what the next right thing to do is. Right? But we're going to hold hope that there's some universal guidance to show us the way and that we are soul beings. We came in as these little light beings here to do something, here to learn and share, here to find our purpose and meaning. And that when you do step into that, you'll know you're there. And your work is to stay on that path, even though there's deviations in the road and we can help each other. I also just learned we need each other, people. <laughs> we need community, we need connection, and we need to not be afraid of our imperfections because we all have them and they're just perfect and they all belong and they all move us forward down the path. And that there's some incredible healers out there um, and that if that is your path, your work is big right now. So take care of yourselves. If you're someone struggling, your work is big right now too. Take care of yourself. Rest. Put your feet up. Put on some music. Just breathe. We all need to do that. And then here we are, circling around to a year. I am not able to continue the conversation with Caitlin, but I do have a privilege of having um, my other daughter, Morgan, and Jesse, my son, Caitlin's brother and sister, have agreed to come on and talk about their journeys. So this is um, continuing the conversation with different family members, but I'm really excited to share them with you, as I was to share Caitlin, because they are my people. They are my little soul connections. And I think it'll be interesting to see how this conversation goes and hear what this journey's been like for them. So here we go on to this episode with a long intro, but I just wanted to wrap up the year because it's been such an incredible journey. And I would say keeping open and curious for me about where this podcast is going has let it evolve to where it is. And just thank you, those of you that have stayed with me um, as we're riding this journey, it'll probably continue to change um, because we're changing and so is the world we live in. And let's, let's just move with that and let's see how this little uh, surf ride goes. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's start this, let's continue this conversation with Morgan and Jesse Streeter. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for being here. And this is a very special episode. I um, am going to recap this year and then have this wonderful conversation with my other two children, Morgan and Jesse Streeter, who have graciously agreed to come on and be guests as we continue the conversation that started a year ago with Caitlin 
So welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So this is a conversation that um, could go anywhere, but I just wanted to, first of all, share the rest of my children with you and let you know a little bit about them and who they are. And then, you know, we don't really, the three of us get a chance much to talk about, um, we kind of talk about the highlights of what's going on at certain times, but just to reflect a little bit maybe about this journey, how it's influenced us, how it's shaped us, how it's changed the fabric of our family in some ways. Um, but first I just thought maybe each of you could just start by starting where you are now at this point in time, who you are and what you're up to um, on a day-to-day -day and where you live and what you're evolving in your life. So who would like to share that first? I can start. Um, so yeah, so I'm Morgan. I am the second oldest. I'm Caitlin's younger sister and Jesse's older sister. Um, I am 32, which mixed feelings about. Um, <laughs> but I have two little ones. I have a seven-year-old. Her name is Adelaide. And um, I have a younger son, Theodore, who's two. Um, I have a fiance whose name is Dan. Um, we were living in Burlington, which is a kind of a, the biggest town in Vermont. But we, about two years ago, um, moved into my grandparents. So my mom's parents' house. Um, and we rented for a little while and then we finally bought the summer, which was like super exciting. Yeah. Um, we live in Chittenden County, which is a kind of an expensive place to buy. And the market was really hard. So we we're just feeling super blessed to have a home. And through the mark, through the pandemic and everything, we were living in a third story apartment before that. <laughs> we moved into the house, right? Uh, in February before the pandemic happened. And we were just like, oh my God, thank God that we have like a yard yeah. to shuffle the kids out into. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's been like huge in our life recently. And then I were I went to college. Um, I kind of, you know, had Adelaide and was home for a while. And then I went back to school, graduated in 2018. And then um, I've been working for this uh, captive insurance company. It's not super exciting. It's definitely like not what I want to do when I grow up, but um, it's, it was kind of a way to secure that we could get the house, um, uh, which is why I kind of think I studied into getting the job. So like accepting the job so quickly, knowing it wasn't really like my true calling. Um, it's very much like a corporate job. Um, and I went to school for business. So it, just kind of made sense um so yeah so that's where I'm at kind of in a quick nutshell I guess for now thanks for sharing that and we are really gracious that Morgan and Dan were able to buy my dad's house and to still have the essence of them with us and um yeah it's a it's a good place for you to be so Morgan's like about 20 minutes yeah we're super minutes close from us which is nice so yeah. All right. Yeah. International business. Was that your actual? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I have a minor in psychology and a major in international business. Yeah. Well, we'll touch on like what you're, what you really intend to do with that. It's yeah. down the road here a little bit, but all right. And Jesse, how about you? Where are you at in your life? Yeah. So I'm Jesse. Um, 
I am the youngest child, uh, 24 years old. Um, so I went to my undergrad um, and studied history and political science, graduated in the spring of 2019, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And then I took a year off with COVID and everything. I was planning on maybe going to law school, maybe just getting some other sort of graduate degree. I was pretty set on law school for a while, took the LSAT, started the application process, kind of decided I didn't want to be miserable for the rest of my life. So <laughs> I uh, decided to end that path a little early, looked at some graduate degrees in um, political science, public administration, policy type things, ended up deciding um, on going to UVM. Um, so I uh, am living at home um, mm. for the time being, at least, um, working, paying off student loan debt for undergrad while uh, pursuing my degree. This is my first semester this year at UVM. Um, enjoying it so far. Starting to realize, though, that maybe I don't want to be a student for the rest of my life, which is <laughs> kind of what That's it seemed good. like after undergrad was loving school. Now it's uh, it's getting a little bit harder, but um, no, enjoying the process so far and enjoying being at home, especially during the holiday season, spending mm. time with family. Yeah. being outside in the snow and everything um but yeah that's I guess where my life is currently at just most mostly consumed with being a student yeah now your master's program is graduate work is a lot more intense than undergrad no doubt about it and maybe you said public administration I'm not sure if you did but oh yeah no I might have failed to mention yeah. that yeah that's okay um yeah we're, we're glad to have Jesse here it's a busy household so it's um if he can pull it off <laughs> with everything that's going on here, good for him. Um, yeah, so here we are today and um, we could go on. I mean, I think it would be nice to share more about um, both of you and how you view all the changes happening in the world. But I, I do want to go back, if you don't mind, a little bit and talk about where you were at when the shit kind of hit the fan, basically, in our lives, um, which is when, you know, I don't, it was about nine years ago. Jesse, I know you were 16 um, and living at home still and going into your junior year. Um, Morgan, I'm trying to remember exactly where you were at, but I know you came home at one point to, to help out. So I, you know, I, I, this is what I recall, and um, I'll just start this so it could be a thread for you to feed into, um, you know, our life really switched dramatically overnight, literally. And I just remember, um, it was just so chaotic and Jesse was home. So I do remember him just staying steady through it and being a little, um, so overwhelmed myself, but at times touching in about like, how is he just holding his course through this? I mean, you had recently gotten in your first relationship and I was grateful for that because I felt like you had a lot of positive things happening in that way. And of course you were an athlete and a student. Um, but you know, it sounded like we had time to have any deep conversations about it at the time, but I do remember a car ride and asking you how you were doing and you were just kind of like, well, I just kind of try to keep a forward motion is kind of basically what I remember you saying, but um, do you have anything you want to reflect around that time? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad you remember 
how old I was because I don't really remember um, any any specifics in terms of that um, from that time. I just I don't know. I definitely tried to. Um, I feel like I was able to toe a good line from like kind of completely detaching myself from that situation mm-hmm. while not like detaching myself from the family, obviously keeping like close to everyone and everything in the ways that I wanted, but also like being able to kind of emotionally disconnect from that situation. And I mean, I know that might not work out for some people emotionally detaching and then years down the road, kind of having that emotional, like I never really coped with any of this. Um, but I, for me, it, it, I feel like has a hundred percent worked out. Um, and that I don't feel like there's anything that I need to like, like, um, what's the word? Heal. Heal or yeah. Like, uh, just kind of like, yeah, heal, I guess. Um, dig into, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Evaluate about the way I'm feeling about it. It's just like, I was, I was, I don't know, removed myself emotionally from that situation and was able to move on and keep living the way I wanted to live without having to. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, you were like an only child at that point because Morgan's seven Mm -hmm. years older than you and Caitlin 10. And so, you know, suddenly there were these four kids like running around the house. So, um, you know, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, some of the, my favorite times growing up were like, Oh, when the kids are coming over. So it was like, I mean, obviously had its low points as well, having them around all the time. But, um, I don't know. I would say that was the biggest for my life. That was the biggest shift was just having all of a sudden all these new kids living in the house and mm-hmm. how that was going to pa- impact me as a, a middle of my high school experience, which I don't know. I feel like it all worked out very well, but um, yeah, good. I'm yeah. so glad to hear that. <laughs> but you were, I mean, you had just begun driving and you did have, you know, a group of good friends and, mm-hmm. um, you know, your little sweetheart. And so, I mean, I was grateful for all the positive stuff you had going in your life and that you, you chose, like, I I do talk a lot about our, our power of choice. And at, even at a young age, whether you were conscious of it or not, you somehow kind of did that thing that we talk about, which is like, you're, you be, you were being with the changes, but you were also staying steady to developing who you were um, by attaching to the things that were positive in your life. So Well, and I think, I think one thing I might've done subconsciously and now that I'm thinking about it is I just like, I didn't necessarily ask for any details as, as -hmm. things went on or like any updates. It's like when an update of of the situation happened, it was like, it was just a fact, you know, it was just like something has happened. Here's the information. It wasn't like I wanted to constantly be thinking about it or knowing what was going on. It was just what's happened there was a lot of drama in those first few months and I I think dad and I honestly tried to protect you as much as we could and keep it as normal um as we could for you knowing you probably didn't need to bear the weight of all that either um but yeah you kind of were on a need to know basis and I guess we were all okay with that I'm I'm glad it warms my heart actually to know you don't have some deep-seated trauma from that but (laughs) I have (laughs) I have learned Trauma is, I mean, we had trauma, but it is how you choose to respond to it that is actually the trauma, not the event itself, right? Yeah. Well, thanks. Morgan, do you want to, like, 
fill in where you were at at that point in time when everything happened? Yeah. Morgan was kind of a world traveler for a few years right out of high school. She kind of hit the road to explore. (laughs) She's an adventurous. So I don't know, were you in Hawaii at the time? So I wasn't, I had, I had come back from Hawaii. Um, Yeah, I come back from Hawaii and Caitlin was married to Jeremiah and they split up. And I think that's when things really fell apart for her. Um, They had had the trailer in Hinesburg that they owned and Caitlin kind of, you know, well, she had struggled with addiction for a lot longer than any of us really knew. And even, I mean, me and Caitlin were like, Irish twins were like a year and a half apart. So we were super close always. Um, And uh, she kind of, after she had started having children, had this kind of pattern where she would just all of a sudden like break and like there was something she couldn't handle. So, and it would often be at least somewhat healed. The wound would kind of be glossed over by moving or changing her surroundings. And she Mm -hmm. did this pretty consistently for a couple of years before everything really fell apart. And at this point she had done that moved out of the trailer, moved to Faiston and then her and Jeremiah broke up and they left the Faiston house. And shortly after that is when everything kind of fell apart. And I had only been home for a couple months. Um, And yeah, things went really rough for her for a while and then yeah she just kind of abandoned the kids with you and never came back and at that point I was pregnant with Adelaide Mm -hmm. and um I was having my own issues with being pregnant and relationship and stuff and so then I ended up moving back in with you guys Mm -hmm. um to help you but also to help me um and yeah, that's, I think, so I had Adelaide, it was right Same around my birthday, her. so I was 24 yeah. or 25, um, so yeah, so that's physically where I was at, was that yeah. here, um, yeah, and then, yeah, we lived with you, I was pregnant, I lived with you, Adelaide's biological father came, was living with Carol, came back, stayed with us, and we quickly realized, like, this is a, a fun house, and we need to be somewhere else. So then I moved out to California with Addie for a while. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I know it was really messy when I was there, um, and there were a lot of elements to what was going on with Kaylin that I didn't understand. Um, and But mostly I just felt really – there was just a – it was really sad you mm-hmm. know it just really yeah. was um and I just remember just my heart hurting so bad for the kids and um yeah there was just there was so so much emotion yeah well the sadness runs deep <laughs> and I think we ran you know we rode that wave a lot. That's so many emotions. I, I will agree. I don't, you know, everyone you can possibly imagine, I would say. Um, and then we all have our way of coping with that. And Jesse, you know, shared his at that point in time, distance was what you needed. Um, and it does, it does. And, and, you know, I think I was just kind of keep my head above water, quite honestly. And um, because Caitlin was coming in and out at points of this too. 
And sometimes you, you know, you need to love from a distance, whatever, either physically or emotionally. And, you know, I think we all have gotten pretty good at setting boundaries, maybe as a result of this journey. I don't know. But um, I know I have great sadness at times for the fact that even with Jesse home, often dad or I would have to take turns going to things um, because we had the kids. So I feel like as a parent, we didn't get to show up as we would have. Um, for you, Morgan, too, you were always so independent anyway. It was easy to sort of just um, let you do your thing and not really be able to show up as a mother or, or as grandparents even today, you know, and I, that makes me incredibly sad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so those are the things that I feel like um, we just have to accept to a certain degree and do the best we can. But I'd be curious. I mean, I feel that. And I think we've talked about that at times. And then that makes you write every emotion towards Caitlin. Like we want to love and forgive, but we also are acutely aware that it's changed the fabric of our family greatly. Definitely. I mean, I like... I think as much as like a, addiction has rattled our family so deeply and stuff, I remember when stuff kind of all started to unravel. One of the things that I remember was being like, well, can't swipe that under the rug, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I feel like for years um, and I see this in other people uh, too that haven't had that really like um, impacting thing that's that's humbled them or made them vulnerable um, and you know everybody kind of wants to have this like like um, picture-perfect family or perfect you know thing to the outside world and a it's just it's not a thing like that doesn't exist um, and and b like it's not sustainable and it, it's it, it's not genuine and I think like and I think we played puppets too. I mean, I think we did that as well and tried to make things look um, pleasant when they maybe weren't, you know, and not that they were ever bad, but I think we had like an intense lack of communication. And I think that's one thing that's, um, you know, materialized out of this for the better, if nothing else, is that there's a thread of communication that never could have been there before. Mm. Um and yeah, I think that 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 was one thing I really remember when this all happened was like, well, you know, it's all out there now. And um, it, I think it gave us opportunity to really be vulnerable, but it also gave um, other people in our community the opportunity to show up, you know, which happened. And, yeah. you know, that I think a huge note to to be said is that like people people want to be connected and when they see other people suffering in their community or within their family or people step up and they're genuine yeah I will say I, I can easily get moved to tears when I think about the way so many people in our community stepped in to help out and the other part of that was I had to be willing to accept it, right? And what you're speaking to around communication, I think also is 
the ability to acknowledge the shame and vulnerability of the imperfections of this human journey and of being a parent and of being, you know, being human. And yeah, I mean, I think it's also a generational shift. Like we have people now that can speak up and out about vulnerability and shame as a gateway to authenticity and truth. Mm -hmm. We happen to just live through that. I I mean, I, I feel like I did here. I am on the podcast talking about it. Um, well, yeah, and I think, I think when everything happened with Kayla, and this was back in 2011, 2012, it was really before, at least in Vermont, yeah, the, the opiate epidemic has really hit and that there was any kind of services or any kind of, like, like, I mean, they had like an NA convention in Burlington two weekends ago, like that's, that kind of, it's just, it simply wasn't happening here. Yeah. And it, I mean, um, like street heroin itself outside of like the opiates that are pharmaceutical backed like pills and stuff like street based heroin had really just started to hit this area. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And like people certainly weren't like IV using or anything like that. Like it was very much um, before the culture shift that, that we have in Vermont now, which like, well specifically in the greater Burlington area where we live it's a very liberal community so there's you know we have like a needle exchange and we have like all sorts of support services and a methadone clinic and a suboxone clinic and doctors that prescribe um you know but harm reduction harm reduction (laughs) yeah harm reduction um yeah, so that we have a lot of different networks around that. And and back then we didn't, and there wasn't a narrative. People weren't talking about it. So it was something that when it first happened, and it was very much one of those situations where you can't hide this. I mean, now you have four children living in your yeah. home. Um yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't like today where people would be like, oh, yeah, I know somebody like this, or this has affected me and my family. Um, it wasn't quite impacting in that way or at least people weren't talking about it yet yeah. and people weren't realizing the full scope of what was happening. Yeah. So it was very, there was a, there was an incredible amount of shame around it and embarrassment mm-hmm. to your peers or your community or the people in your school, whatever it may be. Um, and it was very much, it's a small enough community where you're like, Oh yeah, that's that woman, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's small enough that people know each other in that way. And, um, yeah, I, I I mean I think the shame part has always been one of the the biggest things for people in addiction in general is that there's so much shame around it and um I mean I think some of that has gotten better because there's been more education but um I think you know it's it's anything from what people are like raised just with like you know, their guidance classes, like drugs are bad and bad people do drugs or like how it's portrayed in the media or anything. And so there's just this like general idea that like, if somebody's a drug addict, they're a horrible human being and they yeah. must be like really fucked up, you know? Yeah. But like, I mean, I think everybody knows now, like it's, you know, it's somebody's mother, it's somebody's sister, it's somebody's daughter. Like, but I, in 2011, 2012, Vermont, like that was not, that was not the narrative. And that's not, people just weren't aware of it. So it was like, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anyone at that point in time because no one around me was talking about it. But then when I started to speak up and out, 
Um, even at work, you know, when I talk about stress management and resiliency in different settings, people don't necessarily speak up, but I always use my story as an example of how we can, you know, have uninvited things come into our life and we can find our way forward. And people would come up to me. I haven't had a talk I've done where someone hasn't come up and said, oh, I lost my brother-in-law last weekend or, you know, um, you know, I, I, my, you know, someone in their life is struggling, you know, and they're carrying this around really heavy. And I do, I have seen in the years since I've gotten brave enough to put it out there. Like you said, I couldn't hide it. I had four children, but the fact that I, I didn't really have to openly talk about it, but it, it changed, it changed my life greatly. That's why I'm here talking to you because I have to believe it's changed your life. Um, I mean, it's changed your relationship with your sister. I know that. Um, and I know for you, Morgan, who I know you guys were incredibly close and I know it feels like a loss in a lot of ways it does to me too. Um, but I also wonder, you know, we've learned, we've learned how to walk by, beside it, right? We've all, we learned that we can hold the grief and the gratitude and we can find the gifts in it. Um, and I think we've all three of us, um, chosen not to just waddle in the, loss but to find meaning in life and I'd like to kind of move into that a little bit unless you guys have more you want to share on reflecting back I'm curious how it has shaped you as adults if it has impacted the work you want to do in the world or how you view addiction or substance use disorder and it is it playing a role for you now in any way in the work that you do or finding meaning and purpose do you want to talk about that, Jesse? Uh, I got to develop my thought for okay. a little while. I'm not ready to just spew. <laughs> okay. That speaks to your personality a little bit. <laughs> so um, I so should spew. Very, very <laughs> but I know, like, I know he has some views from a broad, broader strokes because that's, I think, where Jesse goes with these things. Um, and Morgan, too. I just wonder... It could just be whatever you, it, it might not, it might not, but I mean, it's shaped you as a human being. Um, and yeah, or just, we can, if, if that doesn't resonate with either of you, I guess we can move into talking about the change that's happening in the world. And I'd like to know a little bit about how you're responding to that. So whichever. Um, yeah, whichever I mean, I don't know that like Caitlin's specific circumstances have impacted any of my direction in life. Mm. Um, I mean, at least not like professionally or personally. Um, but I mean, I think that having a better understanding about people's humility in general has just made me like a kinder person in mm -hmm. more understanding and, um, really recognizing like when it's important to be sympathetic or empathetic, you know, whatever you have in your bandwidth. But, um, and also just like to totally recognize that you have no idea what somebody else is like processing or dealing with or experiencing and how that's impacting their day. Um, but I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of other le like lessons in my life that have been more impacting on like where I, my direction. Um, but I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, th I think, Kaylin's situation has like impacted me greatly. I mean, I've 
you know, like I essentially have lost my best friend, you know, and mm-hmm. like that's obviously it sucks, but um, I think there, I think there was more. Um, I feel like there was other parts of my life that like growing up and things that I saw and experienced that were more impacting. And I think that um, I, as much as I was close scale, I think I also disconnected in some ways in mm-hmm. ways that I just didn't have the ability to um, really sit in my sadness or sit with like how, horrible or whatever it was because I just I couldn't and I had to find other things to hang on to to um continue on um and yeah yeah I can relate to that 100% thank you for sharing that Morgan Jesse do you feel ready to share yeah well so I guess I guess I'm kind of like Morgan I don't necessarily have because I've like I guess in a way detached myself from the situation relatively. I don't know how much it overall has impacted um, my view on a lot of like either what I want to do in the future or just um, addiction or any of that overall. But I would say um, one way it's kind of focused in the way I look at different situations, whether I see in the news or in real life is I, um, I guess if I see a situation like ours or, could be like uh, with that with uh, addiction or um, like a I don't know a drunk driving incident or I don't know anything that I mm-hmm. see on the news um, I I tend to think now more towards the people that it's affecting that weren't actually in the situation itself because mm-hmm. I don't like I don't have um. I don't know the, the what I took out of our situation is more the impact that it had on like you and dad or, or Morgan or the kids more than anything um, Kaylin specific. I don't really think about or concern myself with any of that piece of things. It's more about our fam, like the rest of our family and how it's impacted all of them. Mm. Um, so when I see those situations in the news or in real life, it's, it's, it's caused me to think a little more broadly than like, this, the the situation itself mm-hmm. um, and look from a broader scope and being the policy type person I am it has caused me to um, think about like how I don't know how uh, in what way the the world around us can help solve those problems for for people who are affected by situations like that mm-hmm. yeah. That is, I mean, that's our story that we know. So I can identify with that also. I mean, I, I obviously still hold space for Caitlin's struggles, as I'm sure you all do, both do a little bit in your hearts. I think so. But we try not to fixate on it. And we do, I do think, I do know that um, it's been underserved, the people that are affected by the person that's struggling. Um, you know, even I work at sauna now and there is family counseling, but Caitlin went to several recovery centers. Nobody reached out to me to have a conversation about how to receive her, you know, or, you know, so I think it's just beginning to 
become really clear. And I think there's some interesting statistics out there as far as um, the impact that it has had on family members. But this is the story of how we have stayed resilient, I guess, despite the challenges. Um, the fact that we're all still connected, I'm really blessed for because it has changed so much and it can tear families apart. So thank you both for staying on the journey with us. I'm grateful for that. And thanks for showing up today to talk about it a little bit. I know it's not something any of us want to identify with as our like badge of honor, but you know, it's, it's happened. And so I feel like though, as much as like, you know, you don't want to show up as your badge of honor. I do think that it's brought us all like a lot closer and it's, I, I mean, yeah, like, you know, you were talking about not being able to show up as a grandparent, but you know, it be Ella, my Kaylin's youngest daughter and my daughter are like a couple years, maybe a little less than two years apart. Yeah. Um, it's like a similar, similar age gap as me and Kaylin. And so they've spent a lot of time together. And so, you know, we interconnected in that way a lot too. And, um, you know, before I had a second kid, <laughs> I had the kids a lot, um, you yeah. know, and so it was, you know, I, I'm a lot I mean I probably had Caitlin shown up and not done this I probably would have been close with the kids too but it was in a different way you know um and yeah it it's and aside from like the the family connection because we're a close family anyways I do think there's a lot of positivity that has come out of it in a lot of different ways I mean I think yeah you're raising four very resilient children who you know will probably go on to do great things and they've also been given a lot of opportunities um that they may not have had had the situation not been like this and um I think it's all yeah also I mean the, I feel like the biggest thing from all of this is that it's brought out communication within our family that are that are still around and um the ability to to work through anything like because we're, we're all human and we all make mistakes and it it's it just feels a lot um it, it feels a lot more genuine a lot of realer of a of a relationship than it did yeah. beforehand you yeah. know yeah, I, I, I mean, I 100% talk very openly and honestly with the kids and with you both about things that I probably just avoided because they were never talked to me like that was my generation. Like, so we call it out and we acknowledge when the shitty stuff happens and how much it hurts. And, um, you know, probably I do it to a fault now. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm just finding my way. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm grateful for that too, Morgan. I do think there are a lot of, a lot of gifts. Um, we can hold them both, the gifts and the things that we might not have wished for, but yeah. yeah. So I just to round this out again, you know, thank you both for just coming on and um, I will let you know, I gave them absolutely no preparation for today's interviews. <laughs> they just showed up and uh and they're going to also each be featured in my series that's coming up about um, people early in their careers or in their, their journey into adulthood and this time of change and how it's impacting them, how they view how we're going to move through it, uh, what we're learning from it and how it's shaping what they want to do in the world. So I'm excited to have Morgan and Jesse come back um, 
to do that. And I'll give you more preparation. So you have some idea what I'm going to talk to you about. So, but thank you for just coming in because this is an anniversary of one year in this podcast, which I can't even believe, you know, it's um, been a year and I can't believe how many people are just showing up to watch every week. So thank you all for being here. Um, and I will ask you just as I ask everyone, what you, your tools of resiliency are as you move through your day to day, what do you do to keep yourself well? So, um, so when I, when I first kind of realized that this was a thing I had to do, which is probably after I had Adelaide, um, I definitely went, uh, to like physical activity. So I did a lot of yoga and Mm. I I ran like when things were really hard, I would always run and like, I hate running, but it was (laughs) like my way of like keeping the chaos, like Mm -hmm. manageable. Um, but now I'm in a place like I, my biggest thing is just laughter. I feel like it's just a cure-all. And I feel like that's my biggest way of just staying in tune and staying present is just not taking things too seriously and being able to laugh at myself, but also, you know, being open to the joy and the laughter around me. No, oh, I love that. Thank you. Oh, you make a lot of us laugh. So I think <laughs> you do. You and Adelaide, actually, but. Although Teddy's got some expressions that pretty much crack me up too. And Danny's funny too. So I guess <laughs> you guys probably do laugh. You got it down. <laughs> yeah, you got it down. That's great. How about you, Jess? Yeah. Um, I mean, I also definitely um, need that physical activity, the exercise, which has been a struggle this semester working full time and going to school full time. Mm. I haven't been had that consistency. I've still managed to remain resilient the whole time, but uh, (laughs) it's definitely been a struggle. But also, I don't know, each night, I guess, before I go to bed, I like to try to do either like read. I like to read a lot. So either Mm -hmm. read it just as an escape from reality that I can like reset the clock. Uh, I don't know. I was, I was either reading or listening to something that someone was talking about, like die each day. So you can like wake up tomorrow and, Mm. and like with a fresh start. And no matter whether you had a bad day the the previous day, or you had, you struggled with anything, you wake up the next day, just ready to attack it. So I kind of use that either like reading a book, escaping from this world, to like die for the day or watching sports or something like that. Something that just like right before bed takes me out of reality and gets me ready to restart the next day. I love that. Each moment is an opportunity to begin again. It's a nice mindset. Yeah. There's so many ways to be resilient. So thanks for sharing your unique ways. Thanks for sharing and being here on my podcast. I'm just really so proud of both of you and I am just so grateful to be able to share you with this community so and I'm grateful you're going to come back and talk a little bit more about your journey and I think the wisdom that you guys bring to move this change in the direction of this world needs today so thank you for being you and thank you for being here yeah thank you for having us love you love you too